This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook is all about building towards a greater tomorrow. So I asked design program manager Sylvie Singh where she sees Facebook going into the future. I really see Facebook being kind of a more integral part of people's lives, more so than it is today. Um, I feel like we have a space where we're moving from a platform to a provider. That's a really interesting space to explore and getting people to come back to Facebook for kind of all the daily needs seems something that we're moving toward. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, HCSC Blue Cross Blue Shield is looking for a technology application architect in Chicago. We also have job listings from Indeed.com. So head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Provision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our new sponsor, Studio. Studio wants to revolutionize the way that people see headphones, not just as a tech device, but as an accessory for your everyday life. I've been using the Regent, which is their premium on-ear model for the past few weeks now. I've been using it while working, while editing the show, and while traveling both nationally and internationally, and it has been fantastic. Uh, the Regent has over 24 hours of active battery life, 20 days of standby life. That means I don't have to bring an extra cord. I don't have to worry about charging. I charged it at home. I was gone for a week and it was still ticking by the time I got back. They look great. They feel great. I mean, the region is the perfect mix of elegant, modern Scandinavian design and proper sound quality. So there's no sacrifice there. You can get a pair of the Regents at studiosweden.com, that's Studio's website, or any of Studio's headphones for just 15% off when you use the discount code PATH15. That's P-A-T-H-1-5. Use that code at checkout. Studio also offers free worldwide shipping, so make sure you check them out today. I'll put a link down in the show notes, studiosweden.com. Now let's talk about our other sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Automation is huge right now, and the great thing about MailChimp is how they use automations to help make your email marketing efforts more powerful. You can have automations set up to find a new audience with Instagram ads, with Facebook ads, to welcome new subscribers, to thank first-time customers, and a whole lot more. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. So it doesn't matter what kind of an artist or designer or developer you might be, showcasing that passion online is super important. And Hover makes the process of finding a domain really easy with hundreds of domain extensions, 
personalized email, and award-winning customer service. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. All plans have managed WordPress hosting, including staging and Git integration. So get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget, this is the last week that our merch store is going to be open. It's closing on December 15th. Everything's up to 15% off. Free shipping on any orders over $45. Revisionpath.com forward slash store. Make sure you check it out. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to graphic web and print designer Daniqua Rambert. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Daniqua Rambert. I am a designer for web and print. I currently work at Studio Rainwater based in Providence, Rhode Island. And in addition, I freelance for both web and branding primarily. Now, I'll admit, I don't know much about Rhode Island outside of it's the smallest state yep. in the in the contiguous you know, United States. It is the and smallest that, yeah, and that Family Guy is based well, oh, yeah. based there, but you yeah. know, it's it's <laughs> off of Quahog and everything. What do you want people to kind of know about Rhode Island and spe- you know specifically? There is a lot here, similar to what you said. A lot of people don't think about Rhode Island. A lot of people don't even remember it's a state. Like if I'm out of state <laughs> and I say I'm from Rhode Island, people are like Long Island, and so that's always funny. But there's a lot here. And one of the things that I love about Rhode Island is that you can drive 30 minutes in any direction and you'll get a completely different experience from being in like a rural community to then being to the beach and then being in the city. And there's just a lot of natural beauty here. That's really great. Yeah, I'd say don't count Rhode Island out. It's definitely worth a visit. And you know, I think design wise, I'm sure people that are listening are familiar with the Rhode Island School of Design, also known as as RISD. You went to school in Rhode Island. You went to Johnson and Wales University. Yep. Tell me what your time was like there. Yeah. So I transferred to Johnson and Wales. So I didn't start out as a freshman necessarily, and I wasn't living on campus. But I, Johnson and Wales is downtown Providence. We share some, we're like five minutes down the road from RISD. Everyone thinks that it's just a school for culinary, and a lot of people, even within the school, don't realize that there's a design department. Hmm. But what's nice is that the design department is relatively small, so your classes are small, and you do get a lot of attention from your professors, which is really great, and you actually can form really close bonds with your classmates. And that's really nice because you just have like a dedicated group. You all know each other. Even if you're not friends, you're all familiar with each other. So I would say that my time at Johnson & Wales was definitely really great. And what I loved about them compared to other schools that I've heard of is that they focus a lot on technical skills and really training you so that you are employable (laughs) at the end of your time at school. And they really emphasize job skills. So what kind of classes and things were you taking there? So Johnson & Wales requires, no matter what your major, requires that you take certain gen eds. And for the design program, 
we had to take like a law class. We had to take two law classes. We had to take, everyone has to take a professional careers class where basically you learn about LinkedIn and how to write a resume and just how to present yourself professionally online and in person. And so even though those classes are outside of typical design classes, those were really valuable in just bringing awareness as a 20-year-old to what the professional world is like and what the professional world expects. But then we had our standard like drawing one information architecture, which is about organizing content and space and like Illustrator, InDesign, Photoshop. And then I also went into a web technologies concentration. Johnson & Wales doesn't have minors. But in that class, in that concentration, you also learn about PHP, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and more coding skills. That sounds like a really comprehensive curriculum. I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that they, in terms of the general education courses, that it's actually the kinds of things that you would really need as a working professional. Like you said, about law, about learning how to kind of brand yourself online. I know I talk to a lot of people that come on the show that leave design school, and that's always stuff that they have to learn once they get out there. Mm. Design school may have given them the tools to build a portfolio, but not so much how to brand themselves. Yeah, that is something that I honestly didn't realize other schools didn't do until I graduated and had experienced being on the interview on the side of like being the person interviewing, not being the interviewee Mm -hmm. and just realizing like, oh, they didn't necessarily have a resume and seeing that. And then also just at school, I kind of lived with this regret in a way that I had been accepted to RISD when I was in high school. My family tried to, you know, we crunched the numbers, we tried to make it work and it just didn't work. And so I always kind of felt like I was literally living in RISD's shadow, especially that they were right down the street. And I honestly, like, it wasn't until I graduated and started working that I realized, like, no, I got an amazing education that I don't think I would have gotten at RISD. RISD is still an excellent school and an amazing school. And I know plenty of people that have graduated from there and are incredible. But for me and what I needed... I'm so grateful that I wound up at Johnson and Wells and that I got the education that I did. It definitely set the foundation for my career. Given the proximity between those two schools, did you at least kind of have an opportunity to attend there for events and things like that? Sometimes I can recall a couple, like maybe student galleries that I went to, but for the most part, I didn't really attend many RISD events. And at the time, Johnson & Wales didn't have many public events. That's something they're starting to do now because, of course, the year after I left, they got an amazing new building that for the design program. And other courses are in that building as well. But now they have this really nice, huge gallery space that they've started holding public exhibitions of the student work. But at the time that I went, we didn't. I didn't really go to many RISD events. Well, it sounds like from what you said that Johnson and Wales was a really good fit. I mean, I can just tell you from the general education courses that you mentioned. I feel like 
that probably put you, like you said, in a much better position once you got out there in the working world. It sounds like it really prepared you for the working world as opposed to just kind of teaching you abstract concepts. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I think that I totally just realized. Like, I didn't realize how much theory went into design until I was talking to other people who went to other schools, like specifically design schools or even art schools. And I was just like, whoa, this is a different way of thinking. But yeah, I'm very (laughs) grateful for my education at Johnson & Wales and the connections I've made. At the time, I didn't want to write the 13-page law term paper, but it definitely it just made me more aware of things to be thinking about and, you know, just how to behave as a professional and what kind of things to expect. So yeah, it definitely was, I'm just so grateful and just thankful that I ended up where I ended up at Johnson and Wales. Tell me a little bit more about this law class. Like were you learning like contracts and things like that? Yeah. So our professor was very forthright in the beginning that, he wouldn't be our lawyer and that we are not lawyers just because we took this class (laughs) and that he wouldn't take on any of our cases if we had any cases. So he definitely prefaced the class with that, but we did learn the basics of contract writing or just like contract agreements and like the difference between a verbal agreement and the things that you have to have in writing Of course, it's all jumbled up in my head right now, but definitely the contracts and also just the meaning of some of the language in those contracts. I can't Uh think of anything now, but the contracts is definitely what stuck out in my mind, probably because I just knew that was going to be really important in my freelance career. But yeah, we had two classes and the intro class was really like learning about precedents and trials and court cases. And we had to act out a lot of cases, which that was so intimidating, but I made it through. (laughs) Yeah, I still encounter freelancers now that are still stymied when it comes to contracts. Like I went to a, uh, it was a studio owners roundtable that the local AIGA chapter put on here. And there were people that, you know, were just starting to get into freelance design. And the first question everyone wanted to know was, Where can I find a contract? Mm -hmm. Where can I find a good contract? And usually there's a couple of places people point you to, like AIGA has a standard contract, or you can look at, you know, sort of the Graphic Artist Guild has a handbook of contracts and term sheets and things like that. But I think it's really interesting that from the educational standpoint, you learned that right along with design. So you knew whether you went into working for a company or you went into working for yourself, you still had that that wealth of knowledge to pull from. Yeah, it was really great. Even just all of the things that I thought were obscure at the time, just having that wealth of knowledge, like even just in the back of my mind, it just opens my eyes a little bit now that I'm actually working and I'm just a little more mindful when I'm even vetting contracts. Like I'm definitely not a contract expert, but I'm a little more aware when I need to think of what to include in the contracts that I write Yeah. And how to even read contracts. I pay a little more attention now. What was your first design job once you graduated? I actually want to go back before I graduated. Okay. The first school that I went to was in Ohio and I was studying to be an industrial design major. And I 
only made it through the first semester because of some finance problems. And then I had to come back. I ended up moving back to Boston with my grandmother for a little bit. And in that time, I worked for Favor Design and Communications. And they're a a design firm in North Smithfield, Rhode Island. Renee Payne is the founder of that studio. And she saw me and knew that I was in a tough spot. And she allowed, like, I worked there for like a year, at least nine months. I've worked for her off and on throughout my college education. But definitely for nine months straight, I was interning with her at her studio. And at the time, I wasn't in school. And that time just gave me so much exposure to how a studio works and Mm -hmm. print files and setting up mechanicals. Like the first thing I can remember that I did was just like cropping photos and saving them for web. And I didn't touch at the time. I didn't touch any of like the big design files or I was doing very basic intern work, but just the exposure of just seeing how she operates, how she manages clients, the different types of projects that she worked on. I think in addition to my wonderful experience at Johnson and Wales, that working for Renee Payne really added to my drive and my just opened my eyes to design and really confirmed and affirmed that that's what I wanted to do with my life. But yeah, I really just want to like pay homage to her because she's, she's amazing. And I'm very grateful for just the seeds that she sowed into me and the time that she took to really invest in me. I think that's something really important for people that are listening to realize that sometimes that real world experience can really inform what you end up wanting to do, because it will teach you not only aspects that you may not learn in class or or whatever, Mm -hmm. but also it might teach you about the things that you don't want to do. You might go into the industry thinking one thing, and then once you start working towards it, it might not be the best use of your skills or your talents. Yeah. And I think that's definitely what happened with me. I was very headstrong and I loved industrial design, but I think that I loved more so the idea of it now when I'm looking Mm -hmm. back at it rather than the reality. Like I love user experience and I love products and thinking about how they work and how they should be built. But I definitely think that my skill set was more suited towards graphic design. A lot of my work was very graphic (laughs) and just very artsy and creative in terms of like print. And so I think that my work... I just think that my path totally changed for a reason. And I don't think that I'll just say that I'm happy to be a graphic designer now that I'm where I'm at Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be an industrial designer really bad. Like I wanted to build cars, but now that I'm looking back at it, I just, I'm like, I didn't even know anything about cars. Like that's just, what was I thinking? I think I just wanted to be different, but yeah, Renee definitely opened my eyes to, and like lit a fire under my butt and just in terms of what I really wanted to do. And so what about the work that you're doing now? You're at a uh, studio rainwater. Talk to me about that. Yes. So that is my first official job. Once I graduated, I started out as a junior designer. I worked as a junior designer for about a year. We are a small studio of three people. We, well, we do all kinds of work. We do branding, web print, 
we work with a lot of schools. So some of the more notable schools that we worked for are the Harvard Graduate School of Design. We do some work for RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. And also we've done some work for MIT. But in addition to schools, we also do like corporate brands, small businesses. We've done some startups. And we really have a range of work between web and print. So being at a small studio is awesome, especially as a junior designer, because you just mm-hmm. get so much exposure to a lot of things. And at the time that I came on, at that time, they were just a two-person studio, and they really were, were needing a third person to really help t- share the load. And so when I joined, I just got my hands dirty and just every everything between web, print, branding. The first project I worked on was doing branding for a, a toy store. And I just remembered thinking like, what am I doing branding? I don't know anything. Like I'd graduated and everything, but I was just so like, wow, I'm really getting to work on an identity that we're actually going to submit to the client. And that was like, something I worked on on my first day. And so that was just really, really cool to get to start right out right in the beginning. That's amazing. It really sounds like, you know, you're a valued asset there, probably because it's so small, you get a chance to touch everything in a way. Yeah, definitely. Because I focused on web in school, I really didn't have much print in my portfolio. I had worked on some print stuff just between the different internships that I'd had, but it definitely wasn't my strong suit and I didn't really have advanced print classes to lean back on. But I mean, I learned on the job and Sarah taught me the right way to set up a mechanical, the right way to prepare print files, the right colors, obviously CMYK or even how to swatch Pantone colors. And so I'm like a unicorn at this point, just just getting a lot of experience in a lot of different things. Right. So tell me about the Providence web community. Like, what is it like for you? What do people need to know about it? I mean, of course, you know, RISD is there, so I'm sure it's pretty active. But in your words, how would you describe it? I think your question is a question that even people in Providence are asking. Okay. But the truth is that there are a lot of there are a lot of different buzzing communities. Like our local AIGA chapter has really started to, they're really working hard to put on a lot of events and make design more of a focus and make bring together more of the community in design, which is really awesome. Like in March, they put on this series. I believe they started this two years ago and I attended both years and that was really great. It was a series called Know Her, And each week in March, they invited a different guest designer to speak at different places throughout the city and just kind of lecture on their particular work or their industry. I'm not sure if the theme changes every year, but there's definitely been like four speakers both years. Like this year, we had Nas from Netflix come and she was so cool. And that was just really neat to learn about. So there's AGA, and then there's also this thing in Rhode Island called Design Week, which I'm sure there are different versions of Design Week that happen all around the country. But Rhode Island has one, and it emphasizes 
all different types of design between architecture, industrial design. They're starting to get into more graphic design, interior design. And throughout the week, they just have different studio visits, different studio lectures, a lot of different things going on. So I think that all these different communities are kind of buzzing and are working to make themselves more known even throughout Rhode Island. And now for you, how do you become a part of this? Like, what do you do to get involved and active in the community? Yeah, so Studio Rainwater actually works out of a co-working space called the Design Office. And this office was started by John Caserta, who was the head of graphic design at RISD. And it was started 10 years ago when he wanted to create a space that just different creatives could come together and just work on their projects and just have a space to not work alone, even if you're not necessarily Mm -hmm. working together. What makes a design office really awesome is that we have an open desk space. And so even the different companies and different freelancers that work out of this office It's just kind of an energy that even if you're not necessarily talking to one another all the time or checking in on what each other's working on, you can always glance at someone's screen and see something amazing or just happen to, you know, chat at the water cooler and just say, hey, how's your day going? What are you working on? And it's always a different story that someone tells about what they're doing. And so that's really cool. And what's nice is that we're a community of designers, developers, We have some typographers in the office now. I believe there's also been maybe architectures at some point. Not at the moment, there aren't any, but it's just cool to see how the the culture of the office kind of ebbs and flows with who's in the space at at what time. And so there are different memberships. There's full-time members who have like a dedicated desk space. And then there's part-time members who don't have a dedicated desk space, but can kind of sit wherever they want and come in for a certain number of hours a week. And that's really cool because you get more members who just kind of come in and out as they please whenever they want and just have a, they have a variety of skill sets. So I say all that to say that (laughs) working at Studio Rainwater not only got plugged into an awesome small studio, but I also got plugged into a different design community. A lot of the people in this office have gone to RISD and came from RISD and not everyone, but a lot. And so it introduced me to a lot more people that were outside of my network. And just being the design office downtown, there's everyone always knows about something that's happening. So if there's something going on at RISD or there's some other kind of design week event it's been great to really hear about the different things that are going on and get plugged in without even necessarily trying but i would say that i also just googled a lot (laughs) so i just googled different design events in my community you know i looked for meetups there are definitely a ton of meetups that happen in providence (laughs) and so that has been a really valuable source But I think Google and Eventbrite are definitely good ways of looking at what's going on in the community. Yeah, I know Lanyard, I think, was one for a while around conferences, but I I think they're just read only Mm -hmm. right now. I don't know if they have it where you can submit events and things like that. Oh, that's cool. I don't think I've heard of Lanyard. So what is a typical day like for you at Studio Rainwater? What are you doing? Let's see. Every day is really different because we're so small. 
even if I have a dedicated project that I need to work on, there are lots of opportunities where one of my coworkers needs help and or even my boss, if she needs help, we do pass a lot of work off to one another. But if we do have dedicated time for a specific project, let's see, I'll think of today. I worked on some print files for a brochure. I wrapped up a website design and I also finished some edits on an annual, what's called a giving report, which is just a little booklet that details the amount that people gave to this particular institution. So that's a print piece. And I also worked on some edits to this huge banner that is just going to be at a conference. So lots of different work and lots of different, just different file types, even just through the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always kind of working on a few different things at one time. Now, now let me ask you this. As someone who is a fairly recent graduate from a design program, I, I feel like you probably have a very good perspective on this, but what do you think design graduates now want from the design community? I think, well, I'll speak for me and what I wanted. I definitely wanted to know how to be the best designer that I could be. Just, and I wanted to know how to get there. And I didn't even know what that meant, honestly. I didn't even know like what all of design was or what the real work day looked like because design can be so different depending on the type of work that you do, whether you work for a small agency, a larger agency, in-house, or even our freelance full-time. And I just wanted to know, like, how do I just get good at what I, at this thing called design? And how do I get there? And honestly, I would say that for those people that haven't, let's say they come from a design school and they don't necessarily have those more professional skills, I think that that's probably something that they're also considering. Like, how do I make myself professional? How do I present myself in an interview? And how do I even talk to people about my work? And how do I communicate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's something that I feel, you know, is important for design graduates to know that once they get out here in the field, it's, first of all, it's a lot of competition. Yeah. And where you go to school, I think, can be important, but also just being able to have a strong portfolio and, and being able to kind of like what you're doing, navigate around these different situations is really super helpful. Yeah, I definitely just worked my butt off the best way I knew how when I was in school. I knew that I wanted to be a designer. I knew that I wanted to work at a design agency when I graduated. I had seen a lot of my friends graduate and not necessarily get jobs right out of school. And I just, Mm -hmm. I really tried to think of ways that I could supplement my classes to just try and at least make myself desirable as an employee once I graduated. So I went after a lot of internships even before it was technically my time to get an internship at school because at Johnson and Wales, they also require you to go on an internship as part of your course credits. But I ended up getting a couple internships before I even qualified to have them count towards credit. And so that, I mean, that was really great because it gave me a lot of experience by the time I graduated. 
But then in addition, I just freelanced as well. And I look back at that work and I cringe, but it (laughs) gave me a stronger portfolio. And uh, especially because the classes that I were taking were more web-based. So a lot of my design schoolwork was older and I didn't, I felt like I'd grown. So I wanted to be able to put more branding projects into my portfolio and some print pieces. And just through the different connections that I had, I ended up making it work and was able to pretty much fill my portfolio with freelance work when I graduated. So I definitely worked a lot to make that happen. No, that's good. I mean, you know, props to you and your work ethic. I wish uh, more young designers had that same kind of drive. Even when I talk to like design educators, the one thing that they say that they wish that those students had was just more, more passion and drive about what it is that they're doing. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're on the right track. Thank you. you No, can't fault you there. Thank you. From your vantage point, is there anything that you want to see more of from the design community? I want to see more people of color in the design industry. And I know they're out there. I mean, Revision Path, you have talked to so many, but just in, and even Renee, who I mentioned earlier, who is the founder of Favor Design and Communications, she is a black woman and she's awesome. And so I just want to see more people of color, more people that look like me, that have experiences similar to what I've, I've experienced. Yeah, that's really like, that's what I want to see more of. And I'm actually, one of my many side projects is to build a directory of different women of color specifically that work in the design industry. So that's definitely still in the infancy stage. But yeah, that's something that I'm building right now. Well, you should I mean, well, first of all, let me know how I can help out with that. But also, I think if you tweet that idea out, I mean, there might be folks that certainly I think would be willing to to help submit something, even if it's something simple, like a like a Google form or something like that. Yeah, just to kind of get things started. Yeah, I put something out and like when it was just an idea in my head. But I'm definitely going to start tweeting out again, just every now and then just to get it out there more. When you were in design school, were there many people of color along with you? And if not, did you at least learn about them throughout college? You know, like I have other designers say, of color. I have to say at Johnson and Wales, I actually did have like, there were quite a few people of color in my classes, like more than any other class that I'd been in. So that was actually really cool. And I think it wasn't something I noticed until I left design school. Like, Oh, where is everyone at? <laughs> and so that that was interesting. But I would say that Johnson & Wales actually has a really good mix of diversity. Of course, I mean, I don't think anywhere is perfect. So, you know, I'd love to see more Black people and I'd love to see more Hispanic people at Johnson & Wales. But I would say that I had a good mix and in my experience. No, that's that's good to hear. That's certainly different from from what I hear, I think, from most people where they felt like they were the only one in their whole design program, but it sounds like you, you had a good cultural mix to pull from. Yeah, definitely. Now there's a project that I was doing my research. I saw you have this project called uh, heart and soul PVD. Can you talk to me about that? Oh yes. So heart and soul PVD is my little online shop that I started. I launched it officially in August, but I kind of had been working on it all summer. It's 
just my online store. I've always wanted to have a store that I put different prints and just maybe even apparel. I just wanted a space where I could put, where I could design little projects and work on little things as I felt like it. Uh, As I was building it, I actually started getting into hand embroidery. And so Heart and Soul actually currently only features hand embroidered patches that like patches that you can put on your jean jacket or your backpack or just some people even frame them. And so that was kind of cool. It was a different avenue. What I like about hand embroidery is that it's something that still allows me to be very detail focused and craft and be artistic, but Mm -hmm. it's away from the computer screen. So that was a lot of fun to work on over the summer. Um, each patch is handmade by me, and I make them to order. So when someone places an order, that patch is specifically made for them. In the future, I'm definitely getting more of my design work, like more of my prints and maybe posters, apparel, T-shirts, stickers. But right now, I just sell the patches. I mean, patches are kind of a big thing now. I mean, I certainly see a lot of uh, independent designers doing that, you know, doing patches or, or pins, like those little enamel pins. I see that oh, yeah. all the time, all the time. I see those. Yeah, I definitely want to make the heart and soul logo, which is like this geometric heart. I want to turn that into a pin. I'm just like, it's kind of expensive to print pins. So I'm just trying to make it pay for itself once I get enough revenue from the store. I heard that it was expensive. I guess in terms of, I guess, making the the custom d- cast and die and everything for it, it's probably pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I saw a quote for like 100 pins for $300. And that was just like a wow. one color pin. Oh, wow. So like the more elaborate ones, definitely it goes up. So in the grand scheme of things, it might not be that bad because then you can charge like eight to ten dollars, twelve dollars a pin. So you do get mm-hmm. a good return, but then you won't sell all one hundred at one time, most likely, or, unless you are or viral. You, or you could do pre-orders or something like that. That's if true. Really, if it's something that people really want to see, yeah, yeah, you could totally do a lot of promotion around a pre-order and try to build the buzz before you make the purchase. Now, I know you you have Heart and Soul PVD that you're working on, but do you have a, a dream project that you would either love to do or or love to create? Yes, I am starting to do more freelance work. And one of the thing that I, things that I would love to do is brand a small restaurant, whether it's like a bakery or a cafe or a pizza shop, a donut shop, a coffee place or a tea place. I'm really into tea. I really want to do the branding, the collateral, the print materials, even the aprons, like the small website for it. I just, I really want to do a whole restaurant branding. Two things there. One, I would love to do that same thing. Like I've done some restaurant stuff, but it's always just been the website. Mm. But I mean, when you look at everything that goes into, that goes into a restaurant, there's menus and even like the floor design or the the sound design when people are eating and things like that, like all of that, like creating an experience, yeah, a culinary experience like that is a, that's a project I've always wanted to take on too. And also I am very much into tea as well. Nice. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of tea? <laughs> oh, see, that's not a fair question. Ah. That's a- <laughs> 
that's not a fair. My, I would say right now the tea that I'm drinking the most, and people are. I mean, I did this project in uh, in 2015 called the Year of Tea, where I reviewed a different tea every day for a year. Oh wow! It was like a it was a it was a, a daily podcast. It's offline now, unfortunately. I, I'm gonna try to get it back up since I've got all the audio and stuff, but. I was doing a mix of loose leaf teas, bag teas, bottle teas, you know, anything in the supermarket I would do, kombucha, you know, just a whole range of, of yeah. teas and tea beverages. And I would always kind of uh, decry anyone using bag teas. I would say, oh, you have to get loose leaf tea because loose leaf has the best flavor and I've got filters and all this kind of stuff. The best tea that I'm drinking right now that I drink every single day, one, it's a bag tea. Oh. <laughs> look at that and two it's right and two it's something you can pick up i think probably in most supermarkets it's uh it's from celestial seasonings and it's called morning thunder oh and it's a it's a mix of black tea and roasted yerba mate because i don't drink coffee yeah and like that's what i drink that every morning without fail I order like six boxes at a time. Like I've always got a stockpile of morning thunder. And I don't want to say it's kind of sad. I mean, I still do drink loose leaf tea from time to time. I would say my second favorite tea is it's not even a tea. It's a tisane. It's from Avita, the like skincare and spa line. Oh, okay. They have this tea called comfort. It's like Avita comforting tea. And it's a mix of like peppermint and licorice and like a bunch of really strong aromatics. And that is the most relaxing tea I have ever had. Like if I had a long day and I need to go to bed, I'll make a cup of that and I'm out. Oh, that's it's, awesome. I'm just, it's a super relaxing tea, like just for the end of the day. So I would say those are my two favorite. I mean, Avita, I think you can get it from any spa because they serve it in the spa, hmm. but you can also buy it online. And then the Morning Thunder, you can buy it online, but you can also buy it in the grocery stores as well. And it's, I drink that without fail, two bags every morning. Nice. It's, <laughs> it's a habit. <laughs> what about you? I'm not quite the connoisseur that you are, but, <laughs> and I have the most basic answer to this question, but I really like chai tea. <laughs> okay. And I like the basic go to any tea shop and they have a chai latte on the menu. And that's what I like with almond milk. But yeah, but my grandmother actually grows peppermint. And every year oh, nice. without fail, she she dries it out. And then she big, brings me this big jar. And it looks suspect because you're like, what are all these dry leaves <laughs> in this huge jar? It's right. green. <laughs> Grandma, what are you giving me? But it's it's actually really good. It's like homemade, which is so cool. And my grandmother's very much that way. Like she'll try oh, to make nice. anything that she can make herself. She will make it. That's very sweet. I like that. Yeah. Chai teas. I like chai teas. The, but I think the chai tea I like the most, I don't know if the, actually the company doesn't even exist anymore, but they might have it at Starbucks. It was a, the one that I liked, it was like a chocolate. God, what was it called? Mayan chocolate chai. That, that's what it was called. So it was like your regular chai tea base, but they added chocolate and they added cayenne pepper. Oh. And so it was not super spicy, but it had a bit of a, a kick to it. You know, of course, if you're drinking it, it hot, you want it to kind of rev you up when you're drinking it. But I want to say Starbucks at one point in time had a chocolate chai. 
I don't know if they, they had added any spice to it or anything. I'm not, I think they did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to remember. I I feel like they had it at one point in time. I remember that. I think at one point they really did a, a few different variations. Like I've definitely seen a pumpkin spice chai, which yeah. I don't like. But <laughs> <laughs> and then even Oprah had her chai tea at Tivana. Have you tried that? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I had to have Oprah's dirty chai. And that was good. That was good. I think the dirty chais have the espresso in them or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They've got a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of coffee or something in there with it. So, you know, kind of going back to your work, when you kind of look at what you've done so far, I, I'm always curious to know how do we sort of help young women stay in this industry? Because I think it's pretty clear that, you know, there are women that are interested in design. Of course, you, can look at any speaker panel. You can look on Twitter. I mean, every now and then there's a hashtag or something that crops up. You can see that there are definitely women out here that are interested in design. But, you know, design, I would say, like tech, also falls prey to some of those same kind of insidious issues of, you know, sexism and harassment and things like that. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can do to help young women stay a part of this industry? I think... Just being more inclusive overall. Like if you're a man and you're hiring, you know, be aware that is my company like all men and being aware of like, maybe we should get not just one female designer, woman designer, but like really trying to, cause that can be an awkward situation too, where like you're the only woman on a team of guys, but then also just, being more aware of like, let's kind of even this out and let's, let's balance this out. And obviously you want the best candidate, but I mean, like there's nothing that excludes women from being the best candidate. And then also like not being cheesy about women things. Like Mm -hmm. I don't need everything to be pink and I don't need like women in design to be like, just I don't know. There's some stuff that just comes out and can look super cheesy. And I think that's starting to change. But like I did see a campaign. I can't remember who it was by, but it was about women in design. But there was nothing that like if you looked at it, you would just think, oh, what's that cool conference? You wouldn't think like, Mm -hmm. what's that girl lady boss like doing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, so I think that I definitely don't like the whole and I mean there are some women that love it and that's their thing, but I don't I don't like the whole like girl boss, lady boss terminology mm-hmm. just because like I can just be a boss. And yeah. It's the same, like and it's amazing and good. But yeah, so I would say that's what I would say to that question. Yeah, I can see how, you know, some <laughs> and I've seen some events do this where they will specifically try to gender what it is that they're trying to do in their outreach efforts. And it's like, like you said, it doesn't have to be pink. You don't have to dress it up in a certain kind of way. If you just make it inclusive, yeah. then, you know, women will want to be a part of it. But also that means talking to them, understanding them. Like, I, I hate this whole thing where dudes are like, Oh, well, now that I have a daughter, I understand. Like, yeah, it's like, there's really? so many like, women what about in your, your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what about your wife, your mom, your friends, your coworkers? That's, that is such a cop out. Yeah. I hate hearing that. Yeah. I agree too. I just, 
like it always makes me wonder like well what about your sisters or your even just like girls you met in class like yeah you know like how what there are so many other women that you meet like (laughs) in your life before you meet your daughter like i don't right i don't get it i mean i'm pretty sure your daughter came from a woman exactly (laughs) clearly you've had to put some legwork in to get to this point yeah you know what i mean yeah it, it boggles the mind how guys try to like circumvent that like they've got this tiny woman in front of them and now it's like i understand everything like yeah. give me a break yeah it's <laughs> yeah you know another thing that came to my mind was like as a woman something that i look for in like conferences or even like any kind of events is i do try to vet out like who's going to be there and who's speaking and so if it's a conference let's say like I'll look at the the speakers and if it's like all guys and even particularly like all straight white male guys, I'm less interested and I'm just like, wow, they, they, okay. Like that's, who's putting it together. That's what this is. And yeah. So even just like, like women are going to look for, they don't need the pink. They don't need the lady boss, but it could just be even including like out of five two women speakers or or even all of Mm -hmm. them be women and you don't even make it a thing but it's like this is a thing about design and then you just happen to put all women as the speakers i mean women would catch on to that like people would notice and it doesn't have to be this huge like woman thing yeah so i think that's something i'd love to see more of i know that it's happening i see stuff on twitter i see things around you know i know that amongst all the crazy news that we're hearing and the bad things that are going on that there is good happening and that people are being progressive and being inclusive but we definitely just need more of it i agree what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired to continue your work i know we kind of keep going back to this but just being a person of color and knowing that i love design the way that i do and also knowing that at least in my immediate network i don't have a full range of other people of color. It just makes me think about the other like younger generation, which saying that makes me feel really old, but um, (laughs) (laughs) it just makes me think like I, me just being a designer and going after what I'm passionate about, which really is design at the end of the day, I can, me just being me can be representation for somebody else. Like I have younger sisters and I mean, they're young now, so I'm sure their mind is going to change about what they want to do in their life. But just, it kind of shows them like, oh, this is a possibility. Like I can do this. And so that honestly really, really motivates me because I know that if I'm in this space, that it can make others feel more welcome in that space as well. Yeah. I've always, you know, kind of tell people like you can't be what you don't see. Yeah. And that even if you don't feel like you're a, I don't want to say a, a role model, but, you know, sometimes just even your presence is enough to make someone else think, hey, I can do this, too. I mean, it's the same for me. Like if I go to I go to AIGA events or other design events and things, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've been working as a designer for well over 10 years, and I still feel out of place going to these things, mm-hmm. even though. I've been in the game. I've done the work. I've, you know, doing all this stuff. I'll still go to these things and feel like I'm the odd man out. Partially that's because 
a lot of these are very like designery events and I didn't go to design school. So I always feel like I'm, I'm like spying, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I shouldn't be here, but also I'll go and, you know, even here in Atlanta, I'll go and be one of the few people of color available, but to be in that space, I think will let other folks know that, Hey, we exist. Yeah. We're out here. Yeah. Um, I know s- sometimes, you know, the question about where are the, blank designers, whatever that blank is, yeah. is really just a matter of optics, you know? And so if you decide not to go to an event or go to something because you might be the only one, then yes, you might be the only one, but also it's a signal to other people that, you know, you are the only one or you're one of many, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's something that I do think of, like, and I try not to hold myself to it too much. Cause honestly, like if there's a time that I just really can't make an event or don't feel like going to one. I try to be mindful of how I'm feeling that day, but I also am aware like your presence could be, it means something it's, it's valuable um, in those spaces, not just for other people of color, but also for the people that are at that conference of just, you know, if they're not people of color to realize like, Hey, like we're out here. And like you said, you could be that person. Right. Well, where do you kind of see yourself in the in the next five years? What kind of work do you want to be doing? You know, this is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot lately. I've struggled with, because I come from such a, a web-based background, just with learning code, and I really worked to become a unicorn, <laughs> mm-hmm. to become like the designer and developer. But my skills are way more on the design side than they are on the development side. And so I've struggled with the idea of letting that go completely in terms of for client work. Like if I need to build a website, if it's within my skill set, I will most likely still do that myself. It's something I'm skilled at and I'm good at doing small sized projects. But I think in five years, I'd love to just be able to work with another developer and just pass off that work to them and just focus on the design of things. So in five years, I would love to work on my branding skills and custom type skills, not necessarily full on lettering, but just working on more interesting type lockups and configurations. I think I definitely have a comfort zone right now that I'm really trying to get out of Mm -hmm. to really grow. But then I also want to do more illustration work, which is something that feels really new to me and really different because I've focused a lot on web. But so the idea of like jumping into illustration is a little like intimidating, but I like a challenge. So in five years, I want to become well versed in both of those things in branding, print work. And I still love like web design and user experience, but then also more illustration. Well, Daniqua, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? You can find me at daniqua.com. That's D-A-N-I-K-Q-W-A.com. And then because my name is spelled so uniquely, I also have at Daniqua on Twitter and at Daniqua on Instagram. So people can check out my website. They can tweet me. You can follow me on Instagram and even like send me a DM. I'd love to chat. I'm very into design. I'm such a nerd. I love talking about branding. I love talking about user experience. So if I get a random message one day, that's like, did you see this cool, interesting product? Like, and you think it's nerdy, 
I will love it and I will want to talk about it. So <laughs> I'm into that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice. Well, Daniqua Rambert, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to come on the show. You know, I think it's really good to always get different perspectives from designers all over the place for this show. I mean, I I really try, you know, when we spoke earlier about, you know, how sometimes events and things will kind of change their outreach or, or you know, based on what they're trying to demographic. I always really try to make sure that when I talk and to that's people it for this show, week. it's not just big thanks to Daniqua Rambert and thanks York, to you for listening in San Francisco. You can find out like more about Daniqua and her work through the links in the show notes at provisionpath.com. But it's always good to know, like what are also thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Mailchimp, Hover, and think Your story really is super. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over two billion people. Way their goal is to make the world more open and connected now, and they use design in a lot of different ways to make that happen. That's creating prototypes, building new tools, or helping. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. What you have going on in the future. And uh, yeah, whether you need to sell your products, share some thank big you. news, or tell I a really story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and watch the results roll right in. Visit MailChimp.com today and sign up for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing domains. They offer free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect the domains to your WordPress site, your Dribbble profile, or wherever you like. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. And of course, we have to thank our special episode sponsor, Studio. You know, I gushed about these headphones at the top of the show, but they seriously are really good. I mean, oftentimes you get headphones that are bulky and plasticky and ugly. And what I really like about Studio is that their earphones put design first with nice leather ear pads. They have this really nice, comfortable, thick leather headband, uh, metal detailing, and you can even change out the ear caps to different designs, which I think is pretty cool. Get your own pair today at studiosweden.com and save 15% off with the discount code PATH15. That's P-A-T-H-1-5. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and next, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts there, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 per month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, 
upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.